The pandemic has hit us hard, and healthcare workers are our first and last lines of defense. So while they're looking out for us, who's looking out for them? There has never been a more critical time to address the mental health of our healthcare community. This is Lift the Mask, voices of heroes in the silent pandemic. Join the Quell Foundation and Hartford Health's Dr. John Santopietro as we provide a podcast for healthcare workers discussing their psychological traumas associated with continual exposure to the COVID-19 pandemic. Hello, my name is John Santopietro. I'm a psychiatrist and I am the physician-in-chief at the Behavioral Health Network of Hartford HealthCare, headquartered in Hartford, Connecticut. During the pandemic, I have been part of a team providing support to healthcare workers on the front lines, and I have a particular interest in making sure that their stories get told. The Quell Foundation has put together this podcast in order to lift up the voices of those on the front lines as a way of reaching those who are still out there in the hope that they will be inspired to reach out for the help and support that is there for them. While there's been a lot of reporting about the pandemic in the news and even about the front lines of healthcare, what's unique about this podcast is that you get to hear the stories from the people that lived it and actually are still living it. I would also encourage other leaders to listen into this podcast because there are many lessons and clues about what makes good leadership in a pandemic and a crisis. It is my pleasure to welcome you to Lift the Mask, Voices of Heroes in the Silent Pandemic. So welcome, everybody, to the podcast. It is my absolute pleasure to have Dr. Naomi Jean-Baptiste here with us. She goes by Dr. JB, by the way. And um, for her to actually spend some time with us, she's very busy. She's got a lot of projects going on and making a real difference in the world. So to have her here is really Fantastic to talk about, you know, from her perspective, you know, her experience, uh, not only of the pandemic, but what she has done during it as a result of it and and her thoughts about wellness and the project that she has going, which she'll talk, we'll get to at the end called Hope for Med. So Dr. JB, welcome. Good to have you with us. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So we normally start by, I'll usually ask, like, where were you when the pandemic hit and what were you doing clinically? But actually, in your case, because when we met, you told me that you actually had a connection to Dr. Lauren Abreen, who is the emergency room uh, doc, who very tragically we lost uh, to suicide at the beginning of the pandemic. So I thought maybe we would start there if it's okay with you. So if you want to just describe, how, how did you get to meet Dr. Breen and what was your connection to her? So... I completed my emergency medicine residency at New York Presbyterian in New York City. And Dr. Lorna Breen was one of my attending physicians. And so from my intern year, which is my first year of residency throughout the entire four years, I had numerous opportunities to work with her side by side in the emergency department. And, you know, the field of emergency medicine is changing, but there still isn't a large representation of female physicians. And so I always look forward to my shifts where I was working side by side with another woman, you know, and really just serving as a, as a, as a model, a role model for me, you know, really showing me that, yes, actually I can 
succeed and, and finish residency and work and thrive. And Dr. Green, not only was she a female emergency medicine physician, but she was also a leader and she was a director of an emergency uh, department. And so, and I, I clearly remember, you know, my shifts with her where she would walk in, she was dressed very sharp and she was very confident and she knew her stuff. And I learned a tremendous amount from her. And so I was extremely, extremely saddened when I heard about her death. Wow, that's really interesting. So not only did you just know her, but she was a, a role model and a mentor and as a doc, as a competent doc, as a woman doc, as a woman leader. You know, when you say, you know, as a leader, what uh, what was your experience of her as a leader? That was one of the things that came up as we learned about her her tragic death by suicide. What, what did you take from her as a leader? Well, for me, it was just the fact that she could become a leader, right? Yeah. As a resident, you know, I worked side by side her, but I actually didn't experience her, her leadership because she was, when you're the, the director of an emergency department, you are the director of the other attending doctors there. And you're the director of the other mid-levels, so like your PAs and your nurse practitioners, mm-hmm. you have direct leadership over them. And so, you know, in my capacity working with her, I was a resident. I was even, I was lower on the, on the pole than, than, right. than her fellow attending physicians. Yeah. But Lorna Breen served as an example for me because after I finished residency and went on, to work as a you know, board-certified emergency medicine physician, I too became a director of the mm-hmm. emergency department. And she was an example, you know, she was confident and, you know, and just the fact that, you know, she could hold her own and she, you know, didn't have to shy, you know, down to this. It, yep. it is a male-dominant specialty still, yep. but still, despite that, she did it. And then I was able to, to do it too. It's good to have examples. Um, and she was mine. You know, like when you talk about her strength as a leader and having it together and she could, you know, hold her own. And this is how, you know, on the podcast, we, we actually had, had an episode where we talk with um, her brother-in-law who now runs her foundation or the foundation in her name. And this contrast of somebody that, again, strong leader, competent doc, high standards, writing about wellness in the fall before the pandemic hit and then, you know, can still be vulnerable to the psychological effects that hit. And, and of course, she actually had the COVID virus and, and uh, Corey, her brother-in-law, really calls it a COVID death. That's how he thinks of it. So that sort of contrast was so shocking to the nation, really. What was your experience? How did you find out that she had died and how did that hit you? I, I still remember uh, finding out. So Initially, I heard about it through it was WhatsApp. I have a WhatsApp group with me and my um, co-residents who graduated together. We were very close. And so we were talking about it from there. And the only thing I knew was she had COVID and then she died. And so I remember clearly thinking, oh, she's the first person that I personally knew, not, not a patient that I met in the emergency room, but somebody I actually knew from before who caught COVID and then died of COVID. And so that was my impression Uh. initially. And so I remember I was in the emergency department and I was walking from one patient's room to another and I happened to glance down on my phone and I saw it on CNN. It was CNN on my phone and it said, there's this headliner that said, Dr. Lorna Breen died of suicide. And I just stopped dead in my track. It just took the wind 
out of me because I was just taken aback. I had, I had no idea. Because of that same, you know, well, first of all, someone you knew, but also because of that image of, you know, she could hold her own and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, because you just didn't expect it, you know, like as with so many suicides, you, you know, like you just, I think people just don't expect it, you know, and it is, it is because maybe, you know, they continued with this, putting up this face of, yes, I have it all together. I have it all together. And then they die. And you're like, what did I miss? You know, how could I have helped? You know, if I had only known, you know, and things like that. And and I think that it has a lot to do, you know, with our field, right? Because as healthcare professionals, mm-hmm. we are the ones that are supposed to have it all together. That's how mm-hmm. we're trained, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you go into that patient's room and you exude confidence, right? Mm-hmm. Even if this is the very first time you've ever done this, you exude confidence that you know what you're doing. Because of course, you don't want anybody else. You don't want your patient to feel more nervous than they already are, right? And so that's how we're trained. And, you know, we put on this this facade, you know, we go from one patient's room to another, you know, we may have had, you know, just given horrible news to, you know, the patient we just saw before you, we walk into the room of the next patient and we can't let that show on our face, right? That, oh, I just gave the worst news ever to, you know, the first patient I just saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but we walk into each patient's room and we say, hi, how may I help you? You take your deep breaths, you wash your face, you do whatever it takes so that you present the facade of somebody that is well put together and confident and knows what they're doing. And, you know, and we've all had a year and to sort of understand and unpack what happened with Dr. Breen. And again, when Corey was on the podcast, he talks about that in some detail. But in the moment, it all just crashed in on you on, on the phone. I mean, you're just looking at that news and you have, you know, and in the beginning, nobody had time to unpack and try to understand what went on, including like you're saying, how it is that healthcare providers, and you can certainly imagine docs, um, and it's not just docs, but certainly docs uh, have a, there's a need to show that you can hold your own, you know, and, and a sense of confidence when, especially like you said, when you're with patients, they're, part of your job is to be confident in what you're doing because you're taking care of people's lives. But, you know, how then to think about, like, how do we reach people, you know, who are healthcare providers and docs and, and need help? And that's what the foundation is about, the Dr. Lerner Breen, you know, act that they're pushing through Congress. And I really want to get to your ideas about wellness. I want to do that in a minute after we talk a little bit about your experience of the actual you know, COVID virus as a clinician, because when we get to that, I'd, I'd be interested in your thoughts about the trick in wellness is how do we break through that or, you know, deal with that sort of thing. But let's shift for a minute. So you're an emergency room physician, you know, what um, town were you in when, when the, you know, what was your role when the pandemic hit and what, what did you see on the ground clinically? So I have been tracking this pandemic since I first got wind of it when it was just in Wuhan. 
And I was like, mm, something's going on there. And I was glued to the TV. I was like, what is going on? What's going on? And I started bracing myself for impact then. And it slowly made its way to Florida. So yeah, so I am an emergency medicine physician working, working in the front lines in the emergency department here in Florida. Mm-hmm. You know, so when it got to, um, it was on a cruise ship, so I was watching it. It made it to I think, Washington State mm-hmm. and then it hit New York. And I trained in New York, right? So, so I have a lot of colleagues still working in New York. And so we have this, you know, conversation, what are you seeing? Mm-hmm. What are you seeing? You know, and they were telling me their experiences and it was just terrifying. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's coming. It's it's coming. It's coming to Florida. And I was just bracing, bracing for impact. And my hospital also started preparing, you know, based off of what was happening around the country, you know, knowing that it's coming to us, right? We're, we're, we're connected yeah world um and, and you can't keep an invisible virus away and yeah. so and then so it arrives just to, sorry to interrupt but because i you know and people will say different things some people uh, like you said we're right from the beginning we're bracing we're learning we're reading we're preparing and then a whole bunch of other others of us were not you know we're, oh it's not going to go you know maybe it's not going to come here it's not going to be that bad when it gets here but you were from the beginning bracing preparing and then what what happened that it did it finally come to your area and what was that like I think that you know my area in central florida specifically my hospital mm-hmm. was fortunate because we never experienced feeling completely overwhelmed i think my hospital did actually a wonderful job in ensuring that that did not happen to the emergency department don't get me wrong we definitely had our fair share of covid patients our fair share of sick COVID patients. You know, I had weeks and weeks where I would go into the hospital and, you know, two thirds of my patients were, were COVID and sick and, and they were dying. And, you know, I had to intervene. I was intubating and, and all those things, mm-hmm. but I never felt completely overwhelmed. So we were mm-hmm. able to move them from the emergency department to other areas in the hospital. So that was, I, it was my great fortune in those regards. Well, I mean, and I think that's an important point. It's very different because we're talking with people from all over the country. And when you say New York, for instance, like whether people had time to prepare or not makes a big difference, right? In some areas where they got hit the first, there really wasn't the time to prepare. So it's a, actually, it's a really helpful point that you're making. You know, do you remember one, you know, a patient or two that like really sticks out in your mind where you're like, this is something different, like this is COVID. What was that like? Yeah, I think um, it's crazy how how quickly medicine changes, right? And so I remember in training, um, they they said, okay, well, well, in residency, you know, patient comes in, they're short of breath, you give them um, supplemental oxygen, uh, just like nasal cannula, and then you go ahead and do BiPAP. BiPAP's the greatest invention because mm-hmm. we don't have to intubate people anymore because we get them on BiPAP. So, so anyways, then we put people on BiPAP if they're struggling, their, their stats are like the low 80s or, or whatnot. And now I have patients showing up to my emergency department and the saturations are 50. <laughs> and I was like, 50? Like, Wow. Yesterday, a set of 50 would have gotten you a tube in your throat within two seconds of coming to the emergency department, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, and now, because of COVID, we're like, well, 50, okay, it's 50. I didn't see people in the 30s. Okay, it's 30, but what do they look like, right? Before, we would have never thought, what do they look like? Their saturation is 30, but now we're like, okay, what do they look like? Okay, they're, I mean, they're not in severe extremists. Let's go ahead and bypass them and let's go ahead and, and, and do all these things. So, 
but that's today. So early on, uh, when the pandemic hit Florida or, or, you know, started arriving here and I started having my patients, I do have a couple. Um, one in particular mm-hmm. that really stood out in my mind was a Spanish speaking patient. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he came in and he, you know, we used the interpreter to communicate with him and he was, cause I may speak some Spanish, but it's horrible. So <laughs> he's definitely used the interpreter. And, um, and he was, you know, just saying how, you know, he was just feeling a little short of breath. And his saturations actually, when he first got in was maybe low nineties, it wasn't too bad. He responded to nasal cannula, but within the mere hours of being in the emergency department, and it wasn't like lots of hours, it was like maybe two hours. Mm -hmm. He completely decompensated from, you know, just two liters of of nasal cannula doing fine. Mm -hmm. He he transitioned to high flow and then he, he was initially okay on the high flow. And then he became hypoxic on the high flow Then I put him on BiPAP and he was Mm -hmm. doing okay on BiPAP, but he was starting to struggle. Mm -hmm. And this was before we were like proning or anything like that. You know, the choice I had to make was this gentleman you know, he is decompensating very quickly and he's on, he's on the BiPAP, you know, uh, right now, but he is going to, you know, decompensate. And so the question is, you know, do I take him off BiPAP and get better control over his airway Hmm. right now? Or do I wait the 20 minutes or 30 minutes, let him go upstairs to the, mm-hmm. to the unit and then have them do a crash intubation up there. He is going to be intubated. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I decided, well, you know, maybe I should just, just do a controlled intubation of him in the emergency department. And so I did. And this man never got extubated. Mm-hmm. He, he ended up dying mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. several, you know, maybe about a week later he died. And were you, you know, I mean, we heard this especially from people in the ICUs, but were you involved in the difficult communication with family when people are either really sick, you know, about to be intubated or maybe about to pass away? And were you involved in any of that with family, getting people on the phone and all of that that we heard about? Yeah, with this, with this gentleman, um, you know, many others, but this, this case, yes, I was, uh-huh. I, you know, explained to him the next steps and he consented to, yes, let's go ahead and just intubate, but, uh-huh. you know, and use the interpreter and I was like, it, it's possible. <clears throat> and I, and I was like, I hope this is not the case with you, but it is possible that if I intubate you, mm-hmm. you may not get out. You may, you may not be able to get Excavated, mm-hmm. you know, because of that, you're you're alone. Let's go ahead and, and call family, talk to them. Mm-hmm. And so he called, he called somebody, um, and I don't know who he was talking to, but it was a female. As I'm like setting up stuff for intubation, and they were they were talking. And when we got ready to intubate him, I said, "Well, you know, this person can't be on the phone while you're being intubated. So, you know, please go ahead and say your goodbyes." And then we'll, we'll proceed with the intubation. And he hung up. First of all, not a, I mean, that's powerful in so many ways. And as you say it, you almost forget because you bring us into the moment. You almost forget this is in a busy hospital setting. People are wearing masks. There's a language barrier. You're using an interpreter. There's a phone. You're actually doing your job of you know taking medical care of this person. And in the midst of it, this incredibly powerful, giving somebody an opportunity to have that kind of conversation. What was that like for you? 
I remember being like, no, 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 no. I don't want you to hang up. I want you to say your goodbyes, you know, like call this person back. I don't, you shouldn't just hang up on them. Like call them back, you know, say goodbye. Just don't, don't hang up. And he was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. And I was like, okay. And I don't know, at that, I wish I was able to say something more, you know, because I knew, I knew that there was a very good chance he wouldn't make it. He wouldn't make it out. And, and I'm not sure what else I could have said to him to get him to call that person back, but yeah. and, And, and he didn't make it out. Well, and so first of all, I just want to thank you for, you know, sharing the story and, and really, frankly, sharing the emotion. I mean, I I think everybody listening and certainly me, I mean, the power of that moment and your role in helping to orchestrate it, but then even beyond that, the complications, all that's going on. And then like you're saying just now, the language, you know, in these really intense, maybe you must be thinking I'm some, some level, this might be the last conversation they have. And I have, some role in facilitating this. I'm, I've certainly allowed it to happen. You know, that's a good thing. But then, you know, is there anything I can do to make it as good as it can be? And the pressure of that, you know, I, I think you just bring us into that. And again, this is what the podcast is about because people maybe will read a one-liner in the newspaper about it, but, you know, in the words of the person who was literally there with that human being, it's, it's so powerful. You know, and, and we're going to get to your, because you're somebody that, you know, you think about wellness, you develop programming for wellness, you, you know, you're, and do you have, you know, those, the moment that you just brought us into, lots of healthcare workers were in those moments, still are in those moments. Do you, what do you think about those moments from a wellness perspective? I mean, how do you see people managing that? Do you see it taking its toll? What's your experience of that? Those moments are, are hard, and I don't see us managing those moments all that well, um, mm-hmm. and it is having a toll. Really? And, you know, and that's why I created my company, Hope for Med, to really help us better manage those, those moments. And from a, a physician standpoint, it's, mm-hmm. it's this like fine line mm-hmm. you're walking, right, in those moments, because you want to instill hope mm-hmm. in the patient, right? You know, the last thing a patient needs to hear before they get intubated and you take away all their abilities to like breathe on their own and whatnot is, mm-hmm. oh, you're not going to make it out of this, right? Like right. You, you you want to let them know that they're, you know, that we're, we're doing everything we can to help you. You know, we're fighting as hard as we can for you. We're right. supporting you. We're in your corner. Yes, it's possible, you know, but you don't want to stress that point of you may die, you're going to die. You know, you don't want to, you don't kind of want to say that. And so, but you right. know, you know, right. you've seen patients go through this before, right? And right. they've died one after another, after another has right. died, right? But right. there's no guarantee that this person's going to die, right? Yep. And you right. don't want to to do that to them. And so it's, yep. this, it's, it's this very interesting line because you know, in yep. your heart of hearts that, very, very good chance they're going to die, but you're not going to say that to the patient, right? Yeah. Because they, they can fight, they can, you know, and sometimes they do. And a lot of, you hear a lot of cases of them fighting out, 
finding their way out. And that's hard. That's really hard in the moment for healthcare professionals, not just doctors, you know, nurses, respiratory therapists, everyone that's involved in that moment with that patient, right? And they have this memory of the patient next door who just died or the patient yesterday who died or the patient they've been watching in the emergency or, you know, in the hospital for the last seven days that they took care of with decompensate them and died. You know, they have that real memory, but this patient in front of them, they still want to instill hope in them. Yeah. you know, that you will make it, you know, and it's, uh, and it's hard. Well, and I love the word hope and that may be a connection to hope for med, but actually before that, I want to try to describe, cause you've said something in a different way than I've heard anybody say it, which is clearly as a healthcare provider, a lot of what we do is provide hope, but also as healthcare providers, either because it selects for people like this, or it's part of the training, people do not shy away from being honest, right? So I call that like leaning in, right? Because you could imagine you could intubate somebody and not, you know, say to them, you know, what you said, which is that there is a chance that you might not come off the intubation. I don't know what the chance is, but there is a chance. And given the chance, do you want, is there anything you want to do? Is there anyone you want to connect with? You could not do that. In fact, in some ways, it'd be easier to not do that, right? But I think you really highlight something about healthcare. And I'm not saying it's totally exclusive to healthcare, but but it goes on on the front lines of healthcare every day, which is that people could turn away and it'd be easier to not facilitate and have those difficult, you know, honest discussions with people. And then to your point, do it in a way that doesn't you know, suck the hope out of the situation, which clearly, you know, you have a skill to be able to do and a lot of other people do. So let's now switch to wellness because, and I just want to make sure I get this right. I think you were, were you interested in wellness before the pandemic hit? I was. Okay. How did that start? So I realized in all the years that I've been working in emergency medicine is that once you finish res- once you finish medical school, right? Mm-hmm. When you're a medical student, you are engaging with everyone, right? All of us are, you know, um, undifferentiated per se, but you know, you start at medical school, some people are going to go and become OBGYN, some are going to go to EM, some are going to go into PEDS, et cetera, et cetera. But in medical school, you guys are all just together in this big assembly, just trying to learn. So then you go into this world of I'm an emergency medicine doc and I'm surrounded by other emergency medicine providers. And then when I interact with other specialties, it's to give you more work. And so it's like, oh, I have a STEMI for you, cardiologists or, mm-hmm. or whatnot. And we don't have as much opportunities to engage with each other outside of those dynamics. And so, you know, at the hospital that I work at, we had a, it's called like provider breakfast, a provider's mm. give breakfast for, uh, I think it was a Thanksgiving before COVID hit. And I remember when I was there, I was serving probably eggs and, you know, next to me was a nephrologist, you know, serving pancakes and, you know, to my left was a radiologist pouring syrup, you know? And so we were, we were giving back, you know, to the employees. um, employees. So you were serving the employees. We were serving the employees as doctors. Mm -hmm. And so while we were doing that, which was wonderful, but we were also able to mingle with each other and talk and get to know each other, you know, outside of the whole, I have a patient for you, you know, Mm -hmm. come see my patient right now kind of setup. And I love that. And so that's where I started thinking about, we need more opportunities like this, you know, Mm -hmm. for our social wellness. And so, but then COVID hit. 
So let me, can I ask you about that? Because that's an, that's an interesting entree into wellness because one is this, it's a, the social aspect. It is, you know, we're, we're, we do difficult work, you know, especially these days, people work hard. I mean, efficiency is really important. There's a lot of patients that need help. So access is really important. So we're doing hard work we're, and we're working hard. You know, so one of your, it seems like, you know, unique ways of thinking about wellness from the beginning was that let's disconnect from that work thing for a minute and just kind of be with each other as human beings. And then there's also this interesting, you know, you were engaged in an activity together like that, you know, like it, it's a nice way of entering the, you know, the wellness because we sometimes don't know how to think about wellness, but this is a very human way. So you were already thinking about wellness and really getting interested in it just around before the pandemic hit. And then how did your thoughts about wellness shape during the pandemic? Cause you could, one way it could have gone is you'd be like, I'm too busy doing care. I'll put out this wellness stuff for a couple of years, but what happened with you? So, you know, during the pandemic and we were all being called heroes, we're still being called heroes. Mm-hmm. I realized, you know, in myself that he, your heroes are humans and because we're humans there's only so much that we can carry you know before before our knees start to buckle and that's for all of us it's not just the doctors it's the nurses it's the techs it's the you know all the ancillary services you know i could go on and on the it's the first responders it's all of us Mm-hmm. We are human beings. And as a human, you know, the, the amount of weight and burden that we're able to carry actually varies from person to person. But at some point, at some point, even a feather added on will make our knees buckle. And then I, I saw it happening. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw my colleagues getting sick. You know, I, I saw it in the emergency department that I worked at. I saw it on the news, all around the nation, all around the world. You know, healthcare professionals, these were buckling and we we're getting tired, you know, and just being very, very emotional, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, we were the ones that were, oh, you know, keep it together from room to room, keep it together. And the burden was just so much, mm-hmm. understandably so, that. We couldn't. It started spilling over. Our cup was was running over. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that got me to thinking about, you know, yes, I was interested in social wellness, you know, but I'm seeing, you know, that we're, we're struggling, we're suffering. Mm-hmm. Our patients are suffering. We're suffering. You know, we're all in this together. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I really started thinking about our, our mental wellness, you know, especially with, with Dr. Breen's death. And, mm-hmm. and then I started looking into mental health and, and wellness in general. And mm-hmm. I realized that this was actually a big issue prior to COVID. It's been reported on for like 40 years mm-hmm. and it wasn't efficiently addressed before COVID and now we're in COVID. And so you think about like the struggles that we had prior to COVID and then we get hit with this you know, worldwide pandemic mm-hmm. and how much more so, you know, mental health resources and wellness programs were needed. That's what um, made me formulate the hope for men. 
Right. And that what I was saying is that, you know, so you were actually able to stay tuned in to wellness, even as you were an emergency room doc dealing with the pandemic. So, you know, again, it didn't go out of your mind. In fact, you got, you were really noticing all this need for wellness. So was there something you were asked to be co-chair a wellness committee and how did that, what was that? So well, I was approached I don't remember when that, when that was, but I was approached during the shift that my hospital was initiating a, uh, a focus on the physician experience and physician wellness. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to know, since I had voiced interest in, in wellness before, whether I would want to be a co-chair of that committee and I'd be working side by side with the chief medical officer at my hospital on that committee. And of course I said, yes. Yes, I do, of course. And so I took that on. And so, and while I was researching how to create this committee, because it wasn't in existence, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things I thought about is like, oh, this is physician wellness. But, you know, in the emergency department, I work side by side with physician assistants. I work side by side with nurse practitioners. And so the first thing that I did when I was asked to co-chair this was, can we change the name from physician well-being to provider well-being so it can be more encompassing mm-hmm. of the mid-levels that we work side by side with great idea did, did they change it yes great well i'm the culture but yes, <laughs> right. yes they did. so then how you know tell us now about about hope for med and by the way it's the word hope and then the number four and then med as people are googling it and so how did how did this come to be what's the story so, you know, with everything that was going on, everything that I was seeing, and of course, you know, Dr. Breen's death definitely mm-hmm. also, and then, you know, I did more research and I, you know, learned about there's more deaths, uh, more suicides happening, you know, besides Dr. Breen's. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I realized that, yes, something like Hope for Men was important for, for my hospital, but my colleagues are dying. And... It's, it's important for more than just my hospital. You know, it's, it's more than just my health system. It's needed statewide. It's needed nationwide. It's needed worldwide. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I created Hope for Med, which is a mental wellness company for healthcare professionals. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of wellness, wellness in all of its forms. So, yeah, we talk about social wellness, mental wellness, physical wellness, financial wellness, all of these things are extremely important. But what's killing us as healthcare professionals right now is the mental wellness piece. And so that's what we're, that's why I'm focusing on that piece, you know, initially mm-hmm. and tackling the stigma associated with, with mental wellness and healthcare professionals. seems like part of the uh, genesis of the idea was you've already been interested in wellness, the pandemic hits, you get more involved. And now you see, this is not just a problem where I am. This is a problem in the state and the nation globally. So it's a desire to, to really expand, you know, reach basically, you know, it's not easy to start something new. I mean, how's it, how's it going? How can people get involved if they, if they're interested and want more information? So we are going to be hosting podcasts will be launched May 1st will be our first podcast. And so they can tune into our podcast. It's called Hope for Med with Dr. JB. And on those podcasts, we will be talking about some of these conversations that happen with close colleagues, right? Like conversations around 
grief and grieving. Can I grieve for my patients? Conversations around burnout, conversations around uh, just death and dying and, and suicide. Um, so there's going to be a, a lot of uh, different topics that we're going to be touching base on, on the podcast, but it's really just to really shed light on this issue. Um, so along with the podcast, you can follow me on my LinkedIn, Hope for Med has a LinkedIn account, and that's where we're going to be putting out information regarding this topic, this needed topic. And, you know, I, I think I'm very unique in my position, mm-hmm. you know, because of my background, it's like I'm a healthcare professional. I'm a board certified emergency medicine physician. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in my training as an emergency medicine physician, you know, we're, we are taught to walk into the room and identify sick versus not sick, right? That's the first thing that we have to, to do. And so I took a step back during this period and looked not at my, my patients, but looked at my colleagues, looked at my coworkers mm-hmm. and saw that there is room to, you know, improve our day-to-day and, and provide hope, hope for a better healthcare Mm-hmm. system. And, and, you know, as you're talking, I'm, it reminds me, interestingly, the thought in my head was the conversation that you had with that, you know, one of those first patients, which was this really intense, you know, moment. And you brought your skills, like you said, as an emergency room doc, but you brought your skills around talking, you know, to be able to lean into that conversation, which was not an easy conversation, but it was extraordinarily powerful, right? So, when you talk about hope for med and again, it's the word hope in the number four and then med as a word when you talk about the conversations that you're planning on having around grief and burnout, these are not easy things to talk about in general and people in healthcare are moving fast and generally not having those conversations. So I know it's going to be impactful and I definitely would encourage people to tune in as we're kind of coming near the end. I, a couple I had a thought, and then I might ask you a question about your own, you know, wellness and what you, what you've done to kind of manage your own wellness. But first, um, you know, I, I also keep going back to Dr. Breen, like, you know, you've done in the conversation and I just almost imagine like, what if she were listening, right? Like, wouldn't like how proud, right? She would be, to know you and what you're doing and, and that you can almost draw a line, you know, from, you know, Dr. Breen to hope for med in a way. I mean, just through you and the, some of the, um, this thing that you said, I wrote it down, you know, your heroes are human. That's a really powerful line, you know, and to put it that way, because we could have a whole podcast about like, you know, what people feel in healthcare about being called hum- about being called heroes <laughs> and not being called human. I mean, there's good to it right? It's acknowledgement, but it's a burden. And it also can be a a way that people, you know, then don't really see what's going on. And this notion of when you said that thing about the knees buckling, when sometimes just that last little feather, you can see it floating down as you were saying it tips over. And and again, I I wonder, you know, you never will never know, but even in Dr. Breen, you know, in her story, was there a feather and, and what was that? And so, you know, as we kind of close out here, going back to what you said about docs and healthcare providers, you know, have a, an inclination to look like they can handle things, right, as we all do. So what have you done to uh, take care of yourself, you know, through this pandemic? So I have done a lot of 
reading and journaling and, you know, just spending time with nature. That's one of my, my releases. I love being outside in nature and just, you know, going for walks and allowing myself the time and um, space to process, process my day. And, you know, just the, the creating of Hope for Med and, you know, in terms of like what services I want to pro- be able to provide my fellow healthcare professionals, you know, has been a form of release for me too, you know, because, you know, I'm just, I'm just thinking about like what things I need as a doc with a crazy schedule and, you know, and things that would actually add more stress to my life. You know, if I, if, if I had to meet with somebody every Monday at three o'clock and I was like, that's not my life, mm-hmm. that's not my life, you know, and really incorporating those things into Hope for Med in, in terms of like the proprietary resources that we will be offering. And, you know, I, I just, uh, it's in my mind to say is that, you know, p- this is a podcast so people can only listen, but I get to see you because, you know, we're, we're on video and it, it comes across in, in, in your face and, and hopefully in your, in Hope for Med, people will be able to see you on video that, you know, you sort of uh, exude hope. I mean, I think it probably comes across in your voice too, as people are listening, but, you know, clearly it's something you're grounded in and passionate about. So it's, it's helpful to hear that, you know, you have your own ways of staying connected to your wellness with nature and reading and journaling, which a lot of people hear about, but don't do. So I just really want to thank you, Dr. JB, for, you know, I know you're busy and, but we, we really appreciate the time that you have just spent with us and what a powerful kind of story and message and even more, you're now taking it to the next level. So I really do encourage people to, uh, you know, search for you and, and for Hope for Med on uh, LinkedIn and, and wish you well. And you're always welcome back. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. This was a true honor. Lift the Mask, Voices of Heroes in a Silent Pandemic. With Dr. John Santo Pietro, executive produced by Kevin M. Lynch, The Quell Foundation, and Mod Worldwide. Managing producer, Sarah Marshall, theme song by Musical Smile. The show is engineered and edited by Scott Waz and Steve Campagna of Philadelphia Post. Assistant audio editor, Vlad Radu, film editor at Mod Worldwide. Voiceover artist, Sinead Doyle. Research and development by Colleen Lowe, Nick Lee, Jessica Ripper, and Caitlin Spurlock. Special thanks to Renee Wilk and Brittany McCormick as associate producers. Please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might hear your review on a future episode. Got a question? Email the Quell Foundation at liftthemask at thequellfoundation.org for sponsorship information or to find out how you can share your story as a guest on a future episode. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever great podcasts are downloaded. Also, Please remember to share this podcast with friends and family who would enjoy this content. This is not a podcast for personal disclosure of suicidal thoughts or behaviors and is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. If you are in crisis, please call 911 or go to your nearest emergency department for assistance. Call 1-800-273-TALK, that's 1-800-273-8255 or text HELP to 741-741 if you're thinking about suicide. 
The Quell Foundation is a registered 501c3 not-for-profit organization benefiting the over 62 million Americans living with a mental health illness. Tax ID 47 512